Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you today. Would you stand with us as we are praising the Lord this morning in song? If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lie, if you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Search for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know that just ain't right. When there's a better life, there's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker.
our great God this morning. Amen. What a wonderful time of worship so far. You may be seated. 
We are so thankful that you're here today. Uh, just by way of announcements, I'd like to just take a moment and welcome everyone here today. We're glad that everyone has come here. And uh, if this is your first time here today, we want to welcome you to Crossroads. Please stop by our welcome center out in the foyer. Uh, we have a gift just to say thank you for coming. We want, we want to be sure we get to meet you. So please stop by our welcome center if this is your first time. Uh, just a few brief announcements. First of all, I want to thank you for being kind to our guest speaker last week. Pastor John Lilly from Avon, Indiana. As you know, I was celebrating the marriage of our daughter. We, I, you know, thank God for that. Yes, that was exciting. Yeah. And uh, I, I handed her off right here at 3.30 on Saturday, and the rest is history, right? So, um, and uh, it's like a football. No, I'm just kidding, right? So, anyhow, we handed her off, and that was the beginning of a new life for her. And we're so thrilled for what God is doing for them. So I said, I, I wanted to bring in a guest speaker that weekend. And John Lilly is one of my best friends out there. And uh, he drove six hours from Avon, Indiana here. And he absolutely loved you. He sent me this letter just raving about our church. And so in a few weeks, I'll read that to you. And uh, we will get that out because he, he was just so thankful and happy to be here. And uh, I want to thank you for being a good church. I love whenever a guest speaker comes and tells me how the wonder of our people and how he was warmly welcomed and how he was encouraged by being here as well. So I want to thank you. Give yourselves a hand, Crossroads. You're an awesome church family. You're wonderful. Just a, a few announcements here coming up. We have Trunk and Treat coming up. That's at the end of October. This is the first Sunday of October. October will fly by. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to come on our parking lot and hand out candy to the local community. We invite all the kids from the community to come up. We will have over 500 kids come up here to this event. And we're looking for about 50 cars who will sign up and say, Hey, I will come. I will sit by the trunk of my car. I'll pop the, pop the trunk and just hand out candy. Some people like to dress up. I remember one year we had somebody dress up as Moses, all right? It was an old guy in the church. Actually, I shouldn't t- say he was old. He was older, all right? So it was one of our older guys dressed up as Moses and his wife dressed up as Miriam, and they had a good time out there. They were handing out candy. So I want to encourage you, um, plan for a roughly about 500. You can go out to Sam's Club, get all kind of crazy treats out there, and uh, just bring in and, and hand them out. And you'll sit out there. You'll get here about 6 o'clock so that we can sign, uh, get everybody ready. 6.30, the kids will open the line and let the kids have fun for about an hour and a half. And then about quarter after 8, you'll be able to head on out. So uh, if you're able to do that, would you please take this white paper in your bulletin there. It says, Serve at Trunk and Treat. Please fill out your name. Put your name, your cell phone number, and your email. We will get back to you. Please put that on there. Put it in the offering box. There's one on the inside of the auditorium here, and there's one in the foyer just beside the door. Uh, Place that in there, and then we will uh, hold your spot out there. But we have about 17 or 18 so far that have signed up. We're looking for about 50. So I'd like to see us go to a new level with this, and it's just that we're just being kind to our community. And uh, so if you want to dress up, you can dress up. If you don't, don't. All right? But either way, hand out candy and be friendly to the community. And then you'll see the orange flyer in there. It says trunk and treat. I want to encourage you to put that in the hand of somebody in your community. Invite your neighbors. Invite your friends. Um, uh, somebody that has kids, let them know, hey, there's something going on up here. I went out. Uh, I was eating at a local restaurant the other day, and a lady came up and said, hey, you're the pastor of the church up there, aren't you? I said, yeah. Did I do something wrong? Okay. 
And she's like, yeah, I recognize you from Trunk and Treat. She said, I'm waiting for the email to come out to tell me about Trunk and Treat. It'll be happening again. When can I get my kid up there? And uh, so she was so happy to be there. And, and that was because somebody from the church invited her to come. And that, that's how this works. So we have road signs. We have ads. But the way people come is by you personally inviting. So I want to encourage you. Let's be on mission for Jesus Christ and invite those people. And then I want to encourage everyone also to get involved in a group. We have C groups that are starting. I've been talking to people. I'm hearing groups that are starting. All right? This is a movement. It's not like, hey, come to the church at a particular moment. This is people getting together and praying together and reading God's Word together. We're, we're developing sermon, uh, sermon discussion guides. So based on the sermon on the weekend, you get a, a discussion guide. And then in those groups, they will be able to talk and, and digest it and say, okay, what, you know, what did the pastor really mean whenever he said that? And if you can, the, you know, and the, the sermon's supposed to be the same at all three times, but I'm not the same at all three times, all right? So you might get a little bit different. You say, hey, he, I went to the 930, he said this. I went to 11, he said that. But you sit down and you talk it through and you be encouraged. And, uh, and listen, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. So we want to encourage you to get together with a few people. On Wednesday night, we have our men's gathering. Listen, folks, this men's group is taking off. It's the men's study. Uh, it's entitled uh, Kingdom Man. We're, we're watching some of the Tony Evans material on Kingdom Man, and it is awesome. And I want to tell you, the, the, the Kingdom Men in the church are stepping up. God's doing something new. That room was packed out again this week, and we're excited about what God is doing. They're t- they've got some neat ideas, and I'm not even going to steal their thunder because they're going to take off. I'm just excited about what God's doing with them. And then the women's group is meeting also on Wednesday evening. Nancy Baker leads that and does a fantastic job in there. Uh, their study is entitled, Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at Your Table. So we want to encourage you, get involved. These are two opportunities on Wednesday night. Of course, we've got stuff for the kids all the way up through eighth grade, um, the, the, the canopy kids. If you come up here on Wednesday night, you will be so surprised to see how much activity is going on up here. There's cars everywhere, and it's just a wonderful thing. And I thank God for all that he's doing. So as, uh, as we continue to move forward, I want to encourage everybody, find a place to serve, find a place to get into community, and keep worshiping the Lord. God is so good, is he not? God is so good. He's always good all the time. And then I want to say thank you for your giving. God's been so faithful. He's supplied for you, and as you have given to the Lord, like as God gives to you, you in turn give to Him. He owns 100% of what you have. He's given it all to you. And so whenever you give back to Him, you're saying, Lord, I trust you. This belongs to you. And we want to say thank you. And you can continue to give through the offering boxes on the wall here in the auditorium or in the foyer. Online, we want to thank you. Let's welcome all of our folks online this morning. We want to thank all those joining us online today. We have a faithful online congregation, and uh, since, the, since the new day of life out there, uh, that congregation has been strong, and I want to thank them. They give as well, so some people give online, some people give here in the building, and others will give through the mail. So let's just thank God and pause for a moment of prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in the church. You're moving in some incredible ways, Lord. We're, we're just hearing every day uh, another group's getting together. Somebody else is saying, hey, I got together and prayed with somebody in the church. Uh, I was able to spend some time. I'm growing. I'm getting to know Jesus more because of, uh, because of Jesus and because of the body of Christ surrounding me, pointing me to Christ. 
Lord, I pray that you'll be with each one of us, Lord, as we prepare and, uh, and, and to do your work, Lord. I, I thank you for all the children's workers downstairs this morning that are serving, our teenage group that's ministering this morning, um, our adult Bible classes, Lord. I, I thank you for these opportunities with C groups and Wednesday studies and just all the different things that you are starting in this church, God. We honor you, we adore you, we bless your holy name. God, we thank you for the, for the giving of the people, Lord. I thank you for each gift and each giver, Lord. You have called us all to be a part of your greater work. And Lord, uh, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a part of it, uh, to serve, to give, to worship. Lord, I ask for your continued guidance and blessing upon our time of worship, Lord, as we sing this next song. Would you just let the, the heart cry of your people pour out to you, Lord. I will build my life upon you. There's no greater place to build my life than on Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we sing this, may it be a sweet aroma to your ears. In your name we pray.
जाने के लिए प्रेरित हुई What a beautiful time of worship today. Amen? Let's thank God. Praise Him again. What a good God. <clears throat> We've been on a verse-by-verse verse study of the book of Mark. And when, you, when you're doing a verse-by-verse verse study, you can't skip anything. And, uh, and we're having fun with this. And so we, as a matter of fact, I had jumped over a passage one week inadvertently, and somebody called and said, Hey, why'd you skip over that passage? So I didn't realize I did it. Thank you. Help me out here, right? As we do this today, today's one of those passages that I'm going to call hot potato. Okay? Do you, do you remember playing hot potatoes when you were a kid? You know, it was like you, you had the potato and it was, you know, you had to throw it. And then when the buzzer rang, if you had the hot potato, you were out. Okay? Um, this is what happened. This passage is a hot potato today. And, and it's one that Jesus dealt with. There was a hot potato in Jesus' day. And so Jesus wasn't afraid of the hot potatoes. And so as we're looking through this today, we're going to look at the truth of God's word from the hot potato. We're going to look at a hot potato today, all right? So don't get burnt, all right? Don't don't get burnt by the hot potato. We're going to have fun. We're going to look at this. And I want everybody to hang in there with me because as we go through this, you're going to say, oh, man, there's some things I don't totally understand. I don't catch all this. But by the end of the message, we're going to rejoice in who Jesus is, all right? And, uh, and, and so th- this, is, this is one of those touchy subjects this morning. So as I, as I hope, hopefully I've prepared you enough that you say, oh, that wasn't that bad anyhow, all right? So it's a hot potato. Let's look at here at Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Then he arose uh, from there, and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. So as Jesus was uh, doing his ministry, remember, he kept saying that he had come to teach. He kept coming to teach. He didn't come to fix. He didn't come to change everything about the land. He didn't come to be the emperor of Rome. He didn't come so that the Jews would uh, no longer be under oppression. He came to teach. And we keep seeing this over and over again in his ministry that he keeps teaching. So here he is, he's before a crowd, and he's teaching. And as he goes about his teaching ministry, um, the, the, he comes up, and the Pharisees, remember, there was this mounting pressure. We have just a little less on this. I'm bouncing a little up here. Um, as he comes along to, uh, through, the, through, the, through the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are coming, and the Pharisees are pushing against him, I want you to catch this because they wanted to kill him. Uh, the mounting pressure, as you come and you look at chapter 11, you're going to see the final descent to the cross. As, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to hit chapter 11. You're going to see that Jesus starts his journey to the cross, to the death, burial, and resurrection. But this is not the time yet. He's not ready to go to the cross at this particular moment. And he knows that this pressure is mounting. And as this pressure is mounting on him, he's dealing with it. And now up come the Pharisees. So verse number two. Some Pharisees come and they tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
And so here they come. They throw the hot potato right at Jesus. Jesus is, uh, is not teaching. This was not a dissertation. Jesus didn't come to the crowd and say, let me teach you about marriage and divorce today. Jesus came and he's doing the ministry. He keeps revealing who he is. And then these Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so what that was, that was a political hot potato because in that day, it was a political nightmare uh, uh, in that. And you can imagine today, you know how politics are today. They always say you're not allowed to talk about politics. Well, in that day, they were coming after Jesus with a political view. It was a religious issue. It was an emotional issue. It was an experiential, a physical, it was a moral issue. So there were so many things, so many parameters by this loaded question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And let me just give you a little background here. It says that they were testing him. Some of the Pharisees came and they tested him. So they really didn't care what Jesus stood on this position. They were trying to kill him. And let me give you this. Their motive was malicious. They were testing him. And here was the danger. Jesus um, was, was doing his ministry. John the Baptist was the forerunner. And as we talked about six weeks ago about how John the Baptist, John the Baptist was beheaded because he told Herod Antipas that he was wrong to put away his wife to take his brother's wife. And so, so whenever, you know, that came down and John the Baptist is beheaded. So depending on how Jesus answers this question at this moment is how uh, a lot of things could change. Like, is he going to be beheaded? Is, is, he, is there danger for him? Uh, what would happen at this moment? So the, so the Pharisees have this in mind, and they're trying to test him. They're trying to trip him. Uh, the, here was the dilemma. If he condoned divorce, he would risk being beheaded like John the Baptist. If he, uh, I'm sorry, if he condemned divorce, he would, be, he would risk being beheaded like John the Baptist. If he condoned divorce, he would lose the confidence of the devout. And uh, the Pharisees, they thought, well, if he says yes or no, no matter what, we've got a real problem for him. Now, let me just give you a little bit more of the background of the day, what was happening. There were, there were two views on divorce, two prominent views on marriage and divorce of that day, particularly of divorce. Number one was a, a guy by the name of Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai was from about 50 B.C. to roughly 30 A.D. He was very strict, and he basically said, uh, the people that followed his teaching basically said, that uh, only if a man married a woman and then found out that, uh, that she wasn't a virgin, then he could divorce her. That was the only reason, and he gave no other possible way for somebody to get divorced. Another rabbi who had a very popular school of thought, his name was Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel, he was, uh, he was from about 100 B.C. to about 10 A.D., uh, it was the years that he lived, and his teaching lived on well after him because it had a lot more freedom. And this said, um, you know, you could have any reason to divorce your wife. And let me give you a few of them. If she makes bad food, you could divorce your wife. If the smoke alarm is her timer when she cooks, you could divorce your wife. If you're displeased with what she cooks, you could divorce your wife. So obviously, this is not the right school, but let me tell you, that's where the Pharisees were hanging out. If she is a brawling woman... And they defined it like this, that she raises her voice to the point that the neighbors can hear. Well, that's pretty cool as long as you live on a farm. What if you live in an apartment? What if you live in downtown Finleyville here, right? Listen, the neighbors hear me more than anything. Um, if you found somebody that was more pleasing to your eye, then your wife would be unclean. 
if you are simply unhappy, then come up with a reason. And so it was a very, very liberal excuse to get divorced because it was whatever you wanted. And so Jesus is in this day, and Jesus has to stand up to the culture. And as he stands up to the culture, I want you to catch what he does. He's not playing rock, paper, scissors with the culture. He's not saying, well, you know, if if you think or what I think. He comes and he takes them all the way back. You know, what was happening here was that, that these two schools of thought were coming off of Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you go back and you read Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, you'll see that Moses uh, provided some, uh, s- some ways for divorce to happen. And I'm just going to read you Deuteronomy 24, 1. He says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and then sends her out of his house. And so he, he went on through a, a, number of, a number of things that could happen for divorce. And what was happening here was Moses was not trying to tell people to get divorced. Moses saw that people were divorcing. And they would come up and they would just do a flippant, hey, I'm done with you, divorce, I'm going to go get another woman. I'm done with you, I'm going to go get another woman. And so Moses was trying to deter the divorce. Moses was coming and saying, hey, this is, this is not right. And, and what he was actually doing was he was protecting the women because the women, their whole life would be destroyed. And a man would say, well, you know what? You burned dinner today. I'm getting another wife. Um, listen, this, this was a, a terrible situation. Moses is leading two million people in the desert. And as he's leading these two million people in the desert, they have to come up with some ways to, to learn how to live amongst the people. And so he, he gives this. But look what Jesus, how Jesus answered here. Verse 3. Jesus answered this question. He says, what did Moses command you? And he knew that, listen, in, in 24.1, they were playing, the, the reason for all the discrepancy was in chapter 24, verse 1, there was, a, there was a, a discrepancy over what the uncleanness was. And so people were making up their own uncleanness. And he says, so what did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses has permitted a certificate, a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. You see, they were more concerned about the grounds for the divorce, but Jesus was more concerned about the principles of marriage. And as, as we're going through this this morning, I want you to catch this because Jesus is going to take them. And listen, he was dealing with people that were schooled in the law. These people were excellent at the law. They knew it's like dealing with a bunch of lawyers. The Pharisees knew how to deal with law. So as they dealt with uh, all the law, the law of Moses, they were trying to trip Jesus. And Jesus says, "Uh, let me show you something. Look how he answers verse 5. Jesus says, and he answers to them and says, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote this law. Moses wrote that law because of the hardness of heart. And he's saying, listen, the the root of the divorce is sin. There's a hardness of heart. There's some sort, somebody's mistreated somebody, somebody's done something wrong. There is an issue there. And he says, because of the hardness of your heart, he has written this law. So Moses was putting a limitation on with the certificate of divorce. He was stopping it from becoming rampant as it was. As a matter of fact, in this day that Jesus was living, while the Jews, uh, Jews were, uh, would divorce, um, in the Roman Empire, it was not uncommon for a man to have 10 to 15 wives in a lifetime. I couldn't even imagine that. I can't figure one out. 
how would God bless that? Like, you know what I mean? How, how could you even think that? So what it was was there was no, they, they took the foundation out. There was no foundation of, uh, of who God is. So Jesus takes him and he says, listen, that's what you say because of the hardness of your heart. Um, Moses wrote that. So because of the way that you're responding, I want you to catch this. And he takes him and he says, but, verse 6, he says, but, and I love this. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And what he does, he goes and he starts to quote Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, and continuing on, for this reason, I love that. Because he created the male and female, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the next verse continues on, and the two shall be one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And so what he does is he comes back and he goes back to Genesis and he says, listen, there was Moses, but I'm going to go back to God's original plan. You know, this is this is pretty powerful what happens here. He's explaining, he's saying, listen, you guys are concerned about the about the grounds for divorce. He says, I'm concerned about that you understand what marriage really is. And so his disciples pull him aside and they get in the house and after after the crowd leaves, Jesus opens up a little bit more and they start questioning him. And and verse 10 says, in the house, the disciples asked him again about the same matter. And uh, verse 11 says, so he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And verse 12, if uh, if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so what he was saying was that they've broken the marriage covenant. And that's not God's plan. I want you to notice he doesn't condemn here. Isn't our God powerful? He doesn't condemn. He, he understands that, listen, we're dealing with brokenness. He understands that we're dealing with a fallen world, and he doesn't condemn. He just merely comes back and he says, you people are trying to trip me. I'm going to show you this was God's original design. So if Jesus was talking about principles for marriage, what I'd like to do today is talk about a few principles from, of marriage with you today. And so the first thought I'd like to give you this is that God created marriage so he gets to define it. Would you read that with me? God created marriage so he gets to define it. God placed Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And as you think about that, how powerful that is. Uh, My daughter just got married last week. Pastor Josh Watts officiated, and he quoted that verse at the very end. Uh, it's not just something that we use at weddings. It's something that tells us what is taking place, the fusion. So it's like the two have become one. I, I love counseling the young couples. We have 15 couples getting married this year. I think COVID helped us a little bit, didn't it? <laughs> 15. I have a wedding next weekend and next weekend and next weekend. And, and it's wonderful. Let's give all these young couples in the church a hand. I'm thankful for them. Not all of them are young. I married an old couple this summer, too. I just want you to know that, all right? But uh, listen, God is putting people together, and we are coming along, uh, alongside them. And marriage is not just a commitment, but it's a fusion of the two to become one. And I want you to think about that, because whenever I tell these young couples Hey, you know what's going to happen? You're going to share the same bank account. They're like, what you talk about? I thought we'd just get married. Like, it's revelation. 
wow. Well, I knew we were going to share the same bed, but I didn't think we were going to share the same bank account. You're going to share everything. You're going to share things you didn't want to share. You're just sharing, brother. Like, listen, man, when I became one flesh with my wife, you know, I was like, I surrender all. I didn't know that. I thought that's what you did to God, not to your wife, right? And it's like, man, I, I surrendered so much, and so did she. Like, I'm not the easiest person to live with. She's wonderful, though, I'll just tell you that. But I'm not the easiest person to live with. And I mean, listen, it's like as you learn and you surrender, and I don't care if you were Romeo and Juliet. They had problems. Romeo and Juliet, they got old. Follically challenged. All these fun things that happen to us. You know what I'm saying? But I want you to catch this. As you become, the two become one, it's not just a contract, it's a covenant. And so this is God's design. And so, so he's teaching this. And, and I love over in Genesis 2, 24 and 25. I'll just read that from, from the Bible here. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, uh, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And so he talks about, hey, here's the permanence here. That this man is leaving his home. He's going to the, going to the, um, uh, going to his wife. They'll be joined together. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like super glue. It comes together. Um, unity, the two shall become one flesh. And then intimacy, they were naked and they weren't ashamed. And so this is, this is God's design. This is God's plan for, for marriage. And so, so he was, he was not, Jesus was not concerned about the grounds for divorce. He was more concerned about that you understood what marriage really is. And marriage is not just a commitment, it's a fusion. A a healthy marriage doesn't just happen. Let me give you this. This is just some good thoughts here on marriage this morning. A healthy marriage doesn't just happen. It requires intentional work. Like cutting the grass. (laughs) That's intentional. If not, there's other intentional discussions. Um, It it requires intentional. You you have to be intentional. Um, I think that um, there's a big thought that, hey, well, we're married, everything's going to be wonderful. No, we're married, it's going to be hard work. And as a matter of fact, First Peter 3, 7 gives some good advice to husbands. And I like giving advice to husbands because I'm a husband and I need this advice. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He says, if you want to free up your, your prayer life, you want, to, you want to have your prayers answered, men, treat your wives in an understanding way. Have you ever not understood your wife? Has your wife ever not understood you? Men, have you ever understood why when you're putting that bike together for your kids, that your wife wants you to read the directions and you don't? Do you, I don't understand that. Um, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That, that there is, is like a fragile vase. He says to treat them as the fragile vase. That means great value, great respect, uh, delicately. Treat them with respect. And, and so be understanding in the way that you live. Um, forgiveness is vital. Let me just throw this at you. Forgiveness is vital. You know, whenever they take your vitals, there's a few things that you have to have, like a pulse. You have to have a pulse ox. 
Uh, you know, we've learned all about that thing this year, haven't we? About the pulse ox and your oxygen levels. There, there's a few things you've got to have outside of Big Macs, right? There's, there's vitals, you know. You've got, you, got to have, you have vitals. What, what is it that makes you live, right? Forgiveness is vital in a marriage. And so if there's no forgiveness, you won't have any relationships. And I think that that's a principle for all relationships, just not in a marriage. But it's vital in a marriage, Every marriage requires divine intervention. And, but before that, let me just read to you Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29 through 32 it says, Don't use foul or abusive language. This is how we're to live in our homes. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. And every time I read these verses, I get convicted because I remember the times that I didn't. And I have to repent. I have to say I'm sorry. I have to say I'm sorry to God. I have to apologize to my wife, to my kids, to anybody who's within earshot. He continues on. He says, and don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. Remember, you're the child of God. He's identified you. You're his. He's guaranteed you. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. He is, he's guaranteed that you are saved until the day Christ comes. So, listen, he's coming back. We're looking forward to that day. Verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get rid of all of that. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. There's one hand is foul language, there's abusive language, there's nastiness. And on the other hand, there's be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving. And this is where God has called us to be here today. And, and, and so as Jesus gave these, these vital uh, principles of marriage today, I'm just reminding us of, of our marriages. You're married, if you're married here today, go home and love your spouse. Go home and pour into them. Wives, love your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Go home and treat them with respect. Go home and pray for them. Pray for your husbands. Pray for your wives. Um, Listen, that's where it all begins. And God changes the mouth. You know how he changes the mouth? He changes the heart first. And when God changes the heart, then he can change the mouth. Then he can change the outward actions. But he has to come to the heart first. And so many times we try to battle the heart by battling the mouth. And we have to back off from the mouth and we have to be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And how did he forgive you? And I say this over and over. Christ gave you, forgave you without condition and he forgave you without limits. So there was no condition to his forgiveness and there was no condition to his, to his uh, no limits to his forgiveness. So I tell that to my wife all the time. You need to love me like Jesus loves me. <laughs> and that doesn't always go over well. I just want you to know that. Um, let's see here. Every marriage requires divine intervention. My marriage requires divine intervention. So does yours. Um, I've been to the marriage conferences, and I will tell you, everybody's marriage has problems. Don't feel alone. Every marriage has a problem. And here's why they have a problem. Because you're a sinner and you married a sinner. Now, don't go home and say, honey, you're a sinner. Doesn't go over good. 
experience again. You're a sinner. You married a sinner. So we have two fallen people trying to live in a fallen world. But thanks be to God, he heals and he puts us back together. Amen? So, I'll give you another thought. I'm just giving you lots of thoughts today. And by the way, we're going to close with a baptism today. Isn't that awesome? Let's thank God for that. That's wonderful. Um, Let me just give you this. How many of you believe that God can do anything? Raise your hand. God can do anything. All right. God can do anything. He can work in your marriage. And so, as you look in the Bible, Moses gave rules. He said, hey, you know what? There's fallenness. There's problems. And in order to protect the women, he wrote the certificate of divorce. And in today's world, I think that every circumstance requires God's grace, God's mercy, and God's wisdom. And there's not one set rule, hey, da-da-da-da. I think divorce is the last option. But I know this. The, the, uh, in the New Testament it says, do everything to live at peace if possible. And sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes there's abuse. Sometimes there's total destroying of, of humanity. And, uh, and that's where we have to understand that God says, listen, my grace is sufficient. And as we move on into this I know that God has given many people second chances. And God has redeemed all the mistakes of yesterday. And I want you to know that for every one of us in this room today, God's not looking down and saying, well, they're married or divorced. God doesn't look at that. There is no scarlet letter on God's children. Amen? Not one. And as your pastor, I don't sit here and I don't say, well, look at this, look at that. No, 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 no. We're all fallen people. Um, some people have, have this to deal with. Other people have other things to deal with. And so I want to encourage all of us in the family of God, let's extend grace to each other. And here's why. Because the truth about all of us, let me give you the truth about all of us. The truth about every one of us is that none of us get to heaven because of what we have done. Not one of us. You see, the, the, the Pharisees, they were trying to put Jesus in a corner and they're trying to say, okay, how you answer? We're going to kill you now. And Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that. I, I'm, 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 a, I'm going all the way back to the very beginning because you don't understand this wonderful gift that God made for you. None of us get to heaven because of what we have done. If you go over to the book of Romans, Romans 3 is, a, is an incredible chapter on on our sinfulness and how that we're separated from God. And I'm just going to read a few verses. 3, 10, and 11 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. There's none of us that seek God on our own. Like, you're not good enough in your own respect to get God's favor. And so God had to come and do something for us. Well, you say, well, what about this whole law thing? You're going back to the law of Moses and all this law. Well, that was to reveal to us that we have a problem and we need the Savior. Look here, Romans 3.19 continues on. 
For we know that whatever the law says, it says it to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. So that all the law, you go through the law of Moses, you look at everything. Listen, Jesus himself, he said these words here. Jesus followed up in, in, in the book of Matthew and he said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust, he has committed adultery in his heart. He took what Moses said and he took it a step further. He said, listen, none of you've got this thing figured out because every man would be guilty on that one. And he says, I want you to catch it. All of you are fallen. So don't think because you haven't had the outward thing, you still have had the inward thing. So that every mouth, see, the law was given so that we would understand we are guilty before God. And that's why we need a savior. Continuing on verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Nobody will be declared righteous if you kept the Ten Commandments. By the way, I don't know anybody that's kept them all. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So you won't earn your way to heaven because of the law, because you did the good things of the law. He says that you now are conscious. But apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. So the law and the prophets point us to Christ. The law showed us our sin and point us to Christ. Verse 20. The next verse there, 22. The righteousness, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Isn't that awesome? How do you get the righteousness of Christ? By being a good guy? No. Believe. That Jesus died for your sin. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day. You see, your good doesn't give you righteousness. Your good could possibly be self-righteousness. And God says, that's another issue. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between anybody. And in that day, the tension was the Jews and the Gentiles. And today, the tension could be those who go to church and those who don't. Those that go to this church or go to that church. Those that are of one nationality or of another nationality. None of this. Listen, God says there's no difference between any human being. The only way you get this is through faith in Jesus Christ. For all have sinned. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have missed the mark of God's standard of perfection. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. We've all been set free. All you have to do is believe. That's my invitation to you today, folks. Listen, God is glorious. God wasn't, Jesus was not afraid of the hot potatoes. Jesus didn't just milk into the, into the culture. Listen, our world today is, uh, is really messed up. They don't understand uh, anything about what Jesus taught. They don't understand anything about what God's foundation. They don't want to recognize the foundation of God. And it doesn't matter that they don't recognize it because God is still God. You see, I can go outside and tell you that the sky is, is orange. And if it's blue, the sky is blue. I'm colorblind, so to me it's orange. No, it's blue. I'm colorblind. And, and this is what happens. Many people in our world, they're not wanting to come and see God. 
They're wanting what they want, what I want. And listen, it's causing anger. It's causing friction. It's causing this destroying of people's lives from the inside out. And Jesus said, all you have to do is come to me and you will have life. Can I tell you the truth about the cross today? There's the truth about us. We need a Savior. The truth is that the cross brings grace and mercy, not what I deserve. Wow. And and as I wrap up on this today, I want you to catch this. Wherever yesterday was, leave it there. That's yesterday. You can't go back. You can't change it. You can't repair it. You can't fix it. And God says, my grace is sufficient. I have given you a bright hope and a bright future. Folks, I want to encourage you. Where you're at today, you work with the Lord. Let him transform you. Let him work. But don't you dare sit in defeat because of yesterday. Because that's not what God wants his children to do. God has given us freedom from that. My past has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Amen? Yours has been too. And so I want you to remember whatever yesterday was. God has brought you here today. You're growing in Christ. God wants to transform your heart. And so you keep moving. You keep growing. And God will do his work in your life. And you walk by faith, not by sight. The cross brings grace and mercy, not what I deserve. And that's what our church will always be about, the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today as we prepare for a baptism as we close our service, I'd like to invite you to Jesus. I'd like to invite you to, to simply reach out and trust him by faith. I realize that that's a tough passage. And as we look through that passage, Jesus says, man, I'm not going to play the games of the Pharisees. Jesus wasn't here to condemn He was here to bring you the light of life. And my challenge to you today is, first of all, would you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? He died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He came back to life again for you. If you've not yet trusted Him, would you open your heart to Him and trust Him today? And just call on Him and pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sin. He came back to life again for me. And I invite him into my heart and soul right here, right now. And for others in this room today, I want to to encourage every one of us. would, Would you lift your marriage up to the Lord? Pray for your spouse right now. Pray for your for your for your family. Ask God to to encourage you, to give you the strength to be the person that you need to be for that family. God has given us all this opportunity to walk by faith. And I invite you along the journey. Lord, be with each person here today as we respond to your word. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of God. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. We thank you that we're not living under legalism and that we are coming back and we're saying this is what God's plan is. And, Lord, we're all broken. We've all fallen short. We all are suffering. And as your scripture says, all creation groans under the brokenness. And one day, Lord, we will be made whole in your presence. And I thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us. For all in here that have trusted Christ, all online that have trusted you, 
Lord, you redeem us and you brought us back and you've given us second chance, third chance, fourth chance. Lord, you work in so many ways. God, I pray you put your hand upon all of us as we move forward in faith. In your precious name we pray. Would you stand with us, please, as we just getting ready for the baptism, singing this last song with us. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lie, if you tried to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got end our service with a celebration of baptism here today. And uh, this is Albert Urbano. And Albert, Albert has been coming to the church for a number of months now. And uh, he went through our, our new members class just a few weeks ago. And he was sharing with me that he's trusted Christ as his Savior. Can we thank God for that, folks? This is awesome. 
Albert was just sharing with me in the back room here when he was a little little baby, around six months old, somewhere in there. He had a hole in his heart, and his dad lifted him up before the Lord and said, Lord, please heal my son. And here he is. How old are you now? 38 years later. Can we thank God for that? That's what God does, all right? Uh, We're so thankful for you and your family as you've been coming to the church, and God has just been working and doing great things. But, uh, Albert, now based upon your profession of faith, so have you made a a profession to trust Jesus as your personal Savior? Yes, I did. Amen. And he said, yes, he did, and he has trusted Christ as Savior. Based upon your profession of faith, and obedience to the and obedience to the Lord's command, I now pronounce. Oh my goodness! What happens when you do a, a marriage thing? All right, man, a day. All right, let's rewind that. All right, based upon, folks, you've got a winner of a church. I'll tell you that. Based upon your profession of faith, the fact that you've trusted Christ as your Savior in obedience to the Lord's command, I now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection. All right? All right. God bless you folks. Uh, I guess we can get you married from a baptism now. I don't know. So that's what happens when you get your daughter married. You ain't been right for a couple weeks. So give me about three weeks. I'll come back to life again. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great weekend.